there. Me? Yeah. No, I got lost in this wind tunnel. It's great. Oh. <laughs> Sing a Stargate Gazing Podcast. I am your host, Mary, and this is your other host, Kathy. Hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing okay. A little I'm tired. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm really tired today. <laughs> this might be a little rough, and Lily is with us in solidarity whining in the background, Aww. so that's awesome. I hope the microphone's picking that up. I did hear a little Lily. Yep, yep. Well, that's that's what Lily does. She whines. She and I have a lot in common. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the episode, The Enemy Within. Yeah. Episode three. Last time we had th- said that the DVD version would be calling this episode two, but apparently actually the DVD co- version skips right over episode two altogether. So episode one is extra long since they combined one and two together. And then we just go right to episode three. So episode three, Enemy Within. The Ooh. Enemy Within. Ooh. We open on the briefing room. We have SG-1 and Kowalski and Hammond discussing the, the designations of the planets they'll be going to. They don't really have names. They have designations. You know, I'm kind of partial to P3575. You don't mind taking P3A577. No, I'll take 577. I'm not married to it. Suddenly, we get an incoming traveler alert, and they close the iris. They set the auto-destruct sequence that apparently is in place that will time three minutes in case nobody turns off the auto-destruct sequence. They don't want anybody coming in through the gate, getting out, apparently. Soldiers surround the gate with their guns at the ready, and we hear a bunch of splatting and thudding against the closed iris yeah Yeah. daniel and o'neill are now debating whether or not those are people sliding against the iris or possibly just weapons or like bombs we don't really know we just know that they're trying the bad guys are trying to send something through and whatever it is is splatting against the iris why isn't the iris defaulted to be closed that is a very good question. Is it, like, too tired? It needs a rest? <laughs> I always assumed that, like, later in the series, since there are nine SG teams, that it was just that there was, like, always somebody out, and in case that they needed to get back quickly in an emergency, they left it open just in case that they didn't have the chance to put the code in. But, like, right here, I get the impression that, like, since SG-1 and SG-2 are there, and they're, like, just starting off with these missions i get the impression that there are no other teams out currently and so yeah the iris you would think should be closed especially because they they refer to the fact that they keep getting these incoming wormholes yeah and the guauld and the bad guys trying to send stuff through so why wouldn't the default for the iris be closed at this point that is an excellent question very strange (laughs) very strange the iris is tired the iris must be very tired. That pure yeah. titanium. Yeah, that pure titanium fatigues very yeah. easily. Yeah, that's got to be it. Finally, we get the all clear and that self-destruct is aborted. In the background, we see Kowalski rubbing his neck and he says he has a headache. So he is sent down to medical. But then all of a sudden we get another inbound wormhole and the whole process is repeated all over again. And this is when they start talking about the fact that they are really persistent and... 
Daniel and O'Neill aren't feeling particularly secure hearing all of these constant splatting noises against the iris. So they're like, we're okay, right? <laughs> Primarily geared towards Sam, it seems. And she's like, oh yeah, we're fine. The iris is titanium. And it's only three microns from the event horizon. So matter won't even be able to fully reintegrate. Everything's fine. It's totally fine. But then she also adds that even if uh, anything did manage to get through the iris, that the whole mountain would blow up when the self-destruct went off anyway. So, you know, things are fine. <laughs> totally reassuring uh, statement there by I, Sam Carter. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I appreciated her matter of factness. Yeah. She's just being the scientist. I'm like, yeah, everything's fine, unless it's not. And then even if it's not, it's fine. Yeah. I did look up to how close that three microns was to the event horizon just because I was like, I have no context for how small we're talking. So even looking it up, I, I was like, what is that in inches? It is point zero 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 one one eight one one inches, which <laughs> is too small for me to have yeah. any sense of, even in inches. So... So the splatting continues, and then we exit out to the theme. We don't have the same fun theme with the Pharaoh face anymore that we got in the first episode, or at least I didn't anyway. This is what they they kind of continued with as their, their traditional scene. So we get some glamour shots of the cast, and then we also get action shots from episodes we haven't seen yet, as well as some glamour shots of the Stargate. And then that is it for our entrance. I was very excited to not see that thing again <laughs> the pharaoh face yeah i was like look something interesting is happening on the screen yay, yay! <sighs> then we uh then we are uh in hammond's office uh with o'neill and hammond uh discussing the possibility of teal joining sg1 um it turns out that the government has some interest in they might want to talk to him or examine him mm. and you know he does he is carrying the uh the enemy within oh <laughs> where did we hear that before <laughs> <laughs> they have you know they're basically arguing because o'neill is full-on Teal'c is one of us um right at this point he you know Tilk saved their lives and he, you know, isn't, he didn't do that. What did he say? He didn't save us to become a guinea pig. Right. But Hammond does have a good point of, we don't know this guy and he switched sides once already and he mm -hmm. could do it again. Right. That is a fair point. Yeah. We flash to Tilk's bunk. O'Neill comes in and Tilk is meditating and O'Neill lets him know that the refugees were safely returned home. So everybody from Chulak that had come through the Stargate with them in the last episode has been returned back home. I have questions about that. What are your questions? Okay. Were all those people from Chulak? Why were they all sent back to Chulak? Based oh, on the information we mm. got in the last episode, like, for instance, that Shari and Skara were kidnapped from Abydos right. and brought to Chulak, what... Is to what is the reason they think that they would all need to go back to Chulak? Were they sent home from there? Were they all actually from Chulak except these two randos? 
Did, did they actually send them to Chulak or am I just assuming? He just said that they sent them all home. I might be assuming that they sent them to Chulak. I think he said they sent them to Chulak. Okay. I'm pretty yeah. sure. That's a good point then. Yeah, because they probably would have been kidnapped from all over. So now what if they don't want to be on Chulak because that's not their home? But also, if they are all on Chulak, what is to stop the Jeffa who are there from just slaughtering them, which was their god's order to begin with? What happens to these people? That I did wonder about because... It was there was a huge firefight that they were all running from when they came through the gate to begin with. So why are they just assuming that it's safe for all of those refugees to go back home now when it wasn't safe for them to be there before? The people from Chulak. We sent the last of them back through the gate just before the ghouls started knocking at the door. Good. Maybe there's some secret underground railroad for prisoners of the gods when they are not in residence on the planet. I don't know questions we do not have answers no. to yet and i don't remember if we ever do get answers to questions like that I don't either know. yeah <laughs> so that was that was my tangent valid points tilk says that the guauld will continue to try to send weapons through a few more times before sending soldiers through to check if they were successful so i guess the splatting that we heard before wasn't soldiers probably but we don't really know that for sure but tilk implies that it was probably just like yeah you know, bombs or whatever or like those shiny balls that they sent through before in the first episode when they kidnapped the the one soldier. Anyway, he asks if uh, Tilk asks if he is a prisoner, and O'Neill says that he is. Uh, O'Neill says he thinks everyone is just afraid to trust him and that it's not really anything personal. Tilk says that he understands that mindset. He served as a warrior for the enemy and also carries the enemy within him still. O'Neill <gasps> says that people are just afraid of things that they don't know. And Tilk asks why O'Neill seems to be the one person that's not afraid. O'Neill says that seeing Tilk stand up against a, a god, essentially what Tilk believed was a god, was all that he really needed to see to, to essentially know what Tilk's personality and, and honor was like, and that, that Tilk was a good person that was going to stand with the Earthlings, uh, I guess you could call us. And Tilk swears that he will prove his allegiance and asks to be shown this world. Once that happens, O'Neill says yes. O'Neill does, but not say all yes. at once. No. <laughs> then we jump back to Kowalski, who is being examined by a doctor. Um, the doctor, you know, is asking him questions like, "Are you the only one with a headache?" And he's like, "Yes." And the doctor theorizes maybe he's having some sort of adverse reaction to gate travel, but then the doctor notices some lumpiness in his back neck area. Mm-hmm. What's this? You didn't notice this. What? Notice what? And then it starts moving. And then we get flashy, flashy, strangle, strangle. Oh, no. We go back to a conference room where Daniel and Sam are talking to some random unidentified soldiers who I would assume are members of various SG teams. And they're talking about the dial home devices and how they work. They do liken them to working like a telephone. From this room, you can see out of an observation window onto the embarkation room, which is the room that has the Stargate in it, and they see Kowalski walking up the ramp towards the gate and are immediately suspicious. What is Major Kowalski doing in the embarkation room? So they page Hammond and O'Neill to the embarkation room. Back down in the embarkation room, everyone comes in and talks to Kowalski, asking him what he's doing there, and Kowalski does not remember why he is there. 
So next we're back in the infirmary. Um, they are waiting on their doctor who was supposed to be there. And the substitute doctor comes in. Do you know where I recognized him from? He's in X-Files episodes. Oh, yeah, he, he is. He doesn't even play like a specific character. I remember I'm just like, this guy is from X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> the doctor order, then orders an MRI mm-hmm. because Kowalski has been blacking out. And that's not good. Not they don't have any good. answers. Yeah. Right. And they need them. Yes. They need them now. (laughs) Back in the conference room, we have Colonel Kennedy showing up, who is the person that was sent by the government to question Tilk. Tilk comes in and they're introduced. Tilk formally pledges his life and his honor to Earth. But everyone in the room is like, yeah, whatever. Just have a seat because we have questions. Kennedy asks Tilk for information about the technology that the Gua'uld possess, but Tilk had no information to share for them. And as far as Tilk was concerned, it was all just the magic of the gods. He did not recognize it as technology. He literally seemed to believe that it was some sort of a magic. Knowledge of gold magic is forbidden. At this point, O'Neill comes in and says that it's not magic. And Kennedy says, oh yeah, you're O'Neill. I've read your report. I was hoping to meet you. Your mission report from Chulak made for the most engrossing analysis of my career. Well, thanks. What was your favorite part? Perhaps now's not the time, Colonel. O'Neill suggests that Kennedy and the rest of the government are trying to hide something. So Kennedy asks O'Neill to join and continues with the line of questioning towards Teal'c. Turns out that the Gualwuld are few and rule by force, but they have growing numbers. And they control hundreds of planets that are accessed through hundreds of different stargates. Those planets that are deemed unuseful by the Gua'uld for whatever reason, if they don't have enough resources or the people can't be enslaved readily enough, are just abandoned. There is some form of government, and it turns out that Apophis is only one of many rulers. He's not the supreme ruler of all of the Gua'uld. It's confirmed that they do have many spacecraft, but that it would take months or even years for them to get to Earth from where they are in space. But if they did come to Earth, they would bring huge slave armies with them. Kennedy asks where those slaves come from. And Tilk says that there's an ancient tale of a primitive world discovered millennia ago, known as the Tari. Primitives were harvested for hosts to the Gua'uld to become Jaffa and also to become slaves to the Gua'uld. But then the Tari civilization was completely lost to time and to history. Kennedy and O'Neill tell him that humans actually evolved on Earth. So then we come to the revelation that this ancient planet that Tilk was talking about, these revered Tari that Tilk was talking about, are actually humans from Earth. Oh my god. (laughs) Wow! Mind blown. Indeed. (laughs) And so Tilk's conclusion from that conversation is first stunned, And then he says, And you are their greatest hope. And mine. Yes. I have a, I have a thought. Yeah. Or a question, actually, Mm -hmm. maybe again. This is, so in the previous episode, the pilot, the first episode, first and second. Yeah. When they're talking to Teal'c when they're in prison, Mm -hmm. like, don't they draw the earth symbol in the dirt again? Yes. Okay, what did that mean to him if he didn't know that's where they were from? I assumed he understood what they were saying 
and that that's why he helped them? That's a good question. I think he didn't recognize the name Earth because he said when they said that they were from Earth, he said that doesn't mean anything. So I I think the symbol did. Yeah. Well, I think he recognized the symbol, but I don't know that he necessarily put. Yeah, that's you. You would think that he recognized the symbol as being the symbol for the Tari, but. I guess he didn't, but he recognized the symbol from somewhere as being a planet that wasn't in part of the Gualwold Empire, is my impression. Mm-hmm. So he saw the symbol, recognized that it is, in fact, a location, but that it's not part of the Gualwold Empire, mm-hmm. not a planet that's run by the Gualwold. So that's why he decided to help him. Them was my impression. Or maybe, maybe going back to my underground railroad to <laughs> save the prisoners yes. from Chulak that's the secret symbol that's been passed around because that is like just a thing and so they just threw down the secret symbol saying we're cool ah, and that's also good... Tilk is like i can trust these people they will they will help save us that's also a good theory i like that theory yeah it's entirely yeah, possible i don't know because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like what he saw o'neill's wash and was like that's great it takes a licking and keeps on ticking <laughs> right these people <laughs> are going to help us all. I like being able to tell time. These guys know what's up. (laughs) He's got a digital watch. That's a pretty neat idea. That's a neat trick. Let's let's start a a revolution with these guys. I don't know if his watch was digital. I was just throwing Douglas out. I don't remember. I think it it was. (laughs) They're pretty hoopy fruits. So they just flash to Kowalski quick to show he's in the MRI yeah. before we then flip to Carter and Daniel who are chatting in the hallway and Daniel is tired and Carter convinces him to try to get some sleep and he goes to lay down in his bunk and then an arm creepily dangles down from the top bunk and holy crap it's the missing doctor and he's dead. I appreciated this because it was reminiscent of the scene with Mr. Arnold in Jurassic Park when his Ah. arm just falls out of nowhere. Oh, Mr. Arnold. That's a great and terrible thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. We go back to the infirmary and they're showing... They're showing screenshots of the MRI that's happening, and that's not at all what an MRI looks like, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, I will try to make my inner scientist shut up we see something red and snake-like wrapped around kowalski's upper spine like around the neck area thoracic spine and cervical spine for anyone who cares doc takes him out of the mri machine and tells kowalski that he is off active duty kowalski's eyes glow and the doc hits the alarm the doc was quick on the draw there that was great that's good that's good reaction Uh, that's good reflexes there i was impressed how he kept his cool absolutely in that scene i don't know that i would yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your eyes are glowing and you're deadly. Uh, I'm just gonna yeah. go over here, push this, hide in the corner, and pee in my pants right now. <laughs> and then you're gonna kill me. <laughs> he, they didn't actually. He didn't actually die, though, right? This doctor. No, he yeah, didn't okay. die. <laughs> so Kowalski makes his way to the gate control room. Mm-hmm. I want to call it shoving people out of the way as he's he goes. shoving people out of the way. And while he's dialing, he shoves Carter freaking hard. Yeah. But since she's awesome, she gets up and alerts everyone that they need to get to this control room. Mm-hmm. Then he grabs her um, and he's like, help me. <laughs> help me. 
and he take he he takes off he starts dragging her away um and i think that o'neill shows up at to witness this mm-hmm. yeah he's basically using yeah. her as a human shield yeah. to get him to the elevator and O'Neill yeah. shows up and is like what the hell's going on yeah so he drags her into the elevator though and carter tries to do something with the buttons and he knocks her down and she's out yeah she had actually hit the emergency stop on oh, the elevator that's what it was. and yeah. then tried to use the uh, emergency phone to call for help and so the next scene is uh, several people opening, forcing open the elevator doors. And once they find Kowalski in there with an unconscious Sam Carter, Kowalski starts acting all normal. It's like, I don't know, she just passed out. I think she needs help. And so she's taken away to uh, to medical at that point. So they're they're back in the medical room, infirmary, yes. whatever. <laughs> um, and... It's a gold. You've got a gold. Uh, Congratulations. It's probably an infant. What a Um, happy day. Yeah, I know. I'm going to buy him some presents. Mm -hmm. Um, They say that the reason that he's probably only blacking out and hasn't been completely taken over by the gold is because because it's so young. And they kind of talk Kowalski through, uh, like, when was your first blackout when you know so they figure out that he likely was taken over as they were escaping chulak and kowalski wants it out <laughs> as would i I, <laughs> I would like to embrace my new lifestyle as a slave in my own body i would not want this uh, hagfish no. looking thing in my body because i hate hagfish no <laughs> So they decide to take him off any pain medications to reduce the chances that the uh, the infant can take over again. Right. They also discuss the fact that surgery would be extremely complex and would likely paralyze Kowalski. But Hammond insists that it has to be done. Whatever they need to do, they need to get that thing out of Kowalski. He says whatever specialists the doc needs, he can have. And Daniel and O'Neill tell Kowalski to just keep fighting. And then Kowalski asks if he hurt anyone. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, one dead, a couple of injured people. But don't worry, Carter is okay. Yeah. So, like, she's the matters. only one who matters. Right. <laughs> I want to know what kind of bed this is that Kowalski's in. Because it basically, it, like, if this is an actual medical bed, I want to know what it is. But also, I don't think that it necessarily is. But in either case, it just looks like a giant hamster wheel with, like, essentially an inversion table. Except that <laughs> Kowalski is more upright, so it's like an upside-down inversion table in the middle of a hamster wheel. It's a very strange face-down hamster wheel hospital bed that Kowalski is lying in. I've never seen one like it. I haven't either. We go on to Teal'c's bunk. Kennedy, O'Neill, and Hammond come in to see if Teal'c still has his little friend, um, which he does because, of course, Teal'c opens his shirt and the thing comes out and screams at everybody and then goes back in. God, I hate those things. You've seen enough. Which is really weird because he can't communicate with it, as we learn, like, in a scene or two from now. So how does he keep getting it to come out on command like this when he wants to show it to people? Or does it just randomly pop out and pop back in whenever the hell it feels like? In which case, that's creepy AF. And I... Uh, just gross. Maybe if that's the pushes. case, just gross. 
Maybe he can push, like, if we were trying to use the bathroom. Oh, God. No, it keeps getting... That's even worse. Somehow you've made it worse. I thought it was already about as bad as it could get, and nope, you made it worse. You're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, they tell Teal'c the plan to remove... The gold from Kowalski, and he tells them that it's going to actually try to kill Kowalski if they try to take it out. And then we go back to Kowalski, who is still adamant that he would like this thing out of him, mm-hmm. please. Yes. They want to actually try to talk to the gold, um, and they kind of push Kowalski into kind of losing his shit. They push Kowalski until he loses control, I guess. is did, Were they drugging him, too? Or no, I, I don't think they were. A, yeah. But the ghoul comes out. I mean, not out of him, but, you know, yeah, he takes over. Yeah, it takes over. over, right? Yeah. Um, he, wants to get to the, he wants to get to the Stargate, and he starts throwing around threats like, release me now or I will destroy you. And, you know, I command you to do this, and this, this body is mine. mine. But I thought that was kind of comical because he was strapped to a thing, although then he starts to rip himself out of the thing. Strapped and I was like, I guess that's wheel. not that funny. <laughs> yes, he's strapped to the thing. <laughs> but um, these negotiations do not go well. And Kowalski comes back. The goal does not get what he wants. No, he does not. And he did not destroy them all. No, he didn't. Back in the conference room, we have SG-1, the Doctor, Kennedy, and Hammond. Kennedy thinks that removing the Gua'uld is a mistake all of a sudden. There is apparently an estimate of only a 10 to 20% success rate for this surgery of with Kowalski surviving. And the Gua'uld would for sure not survive. So, so Kennedy says that Kowalski shouldn't have to die in vain, and they shouldn't lose their chance to study the Gua'uld, so he thinks that they should actually just leave everything just like it is. He also wants to know how these Gua'uld, these larval Gua'uld, can be so smart when they're so fragile that they need to have a host like a Jaffa to live in until they mature. And so they ask Tilk this, and it turns out that the Gua'uld have the knowledge of all other Gua'uld who, that came before it, which Daniel calls, it, calls a genetic memory. That's pretty cool. Yeah, mm. yeah I, will, I will keep my science to myself. <laughs> I will, I not just, not the concept of how, I just like, like with like all the knowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's fair. Like, without the effort. Agreed. Very <laughs> much agreed. <laughs> knowledge is so much effort. It is. But. Kennedy tries to argue that they would be able to convince the Gua'uld to share its knowledge with them if they let it continue to mature in Kowalski, but Tilk says that there's no way that that would happen. So Kennedy says, what if we just study it instead? The greatest enemy that we might ever face has been delivered right to them. What kind of an officer are you, Colonel? But Hammond insists that... As long as there is a snowball's chance in hell that my officer will come out of this procedure alive, we'll go ahead with it. And he will call the president to overrule Kennedy in order to make sure that that surgery happens. Man, that Hammond. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got the ear of the president. That's besties. pretty impressive. He talks to the president all the time. He does. They're BFFs. They really are. So the next thing we see is that uh, Tilk is uh, aiding with uh, their testing of anesthesia on the parasite. I'm going to call it a parasite. Yeah, it is a parasite. Um. <laughs> Literally. Well, yeah. it's kind of... 
Yeah. Technically, yeah. it's not a parasite because the host oh. gets a benefit from it, which means that it's a symbiotic relationship. But we can call it a parasite. What's the benefit? The hosts get long life and healing. Oh, I guess for Teal'c, it's not a parasite. Yeah. If it's in a human, I guess you get those things, but you also give up all of your yes. humanity. So. <laughs> Yes. Okay, I will. All right. So TLK is <laughs> testing the anesthesia on the. They do. Uh, they do call it a parasite. Yeah. So if you want to call it a parasite, <laughs> I won't hold it against you. There's already a lot of bad science that I'm not talking about. And then he he reiterates again that the Jaffa don't talk to their gold, so mm-hmm. he doesn't really know how it's going, but he's kind of feeling differently a little bit so that's how they're trying to experiment based on how if teal is sensing any difference right um and then i think while that's happening uh kowalski and o'neill are having a basically a goodbye talk mm-hmm. or at least kowalski's trying to have a goodbye trying, talk yeah. and yeah o'neill is being optimistic and jokey because that is who O'Neill is. Mm-hmm. He is like, if I die, make sure you cremate me because I want no remnants of this thing again. Because again, Kowalski is completely against having this thing inside him. <laughs> again, can't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was really looking forward to his first mission. There's a really nice moment too where he's like, give me your hands. And, um, you know, it says, you know, no matter what, it was an honor to serve with you. Yeah. And then, of course, O'Neill. <laughs> Jokey, jokey. To be a tool. <laughs> if, if you don't make it, can I have your stereo? Thanks, O'Neill. Yay. Yep, good job. <laughs> Later on in the infirmary, we have a long shot of guards with their guns at the ready, and it turns out that down on the surgical floor, the operation is about to start. Kowalski tells Hammond that he wants to wake up as himself or not at all, and Hammond agrees that he will see to it that that happens. Surgery begins, and some nice magic technology gives us a great 3D view of what's happening inside without any kind of orthoscopic involvement. Seems to be going pretty well, and Daniel says that that's a good sign for Share. He's feeling very optimistic about her chances of possibly having her little snake friend removed and uh, recovering eventually. The symbiote is still active, even though the anesthetic is uh, in effect, and everyone's saying, well, that shouldn't be happening. They talk about how they're going to try to get the filaments going into the brain. And suddenly the gold constricts. Kowalski seizes briefly. They pause for a second. And then they cut the thing in half and take it out all together. We see a dead gold in a collection tray being removed. I really liked the graphic of the scissors cutting up the gold on the screen. (laughs) magical magical was, visualization technology it was beautiful it followed was, by the grossness of ripping that thing out of lovely. him <laughs> also i thought it was funny that the the actual thing was so much longer than their fake technology was depicting it as being <laughs> i did notice that too well, the screen wasn't big enough <laughs> that must be Just... it <laughs> Also, I'm glad that literally no one else had any other work to do so they could all sit here and watch this. Right. Yeah, exactly. What else could they possibly have had to do? Surely there were no other missions or no reports or or any other trainings. Nothing. This was like an hours long surgery, too. Yeah. They had a timer. Is that a thing? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think typically they would have a timer. Okay. 
I don't know anything about surgery. I don't really know. I don't know a whole so. lot about surgery either, but I'm pretty, I think that they do at least try to keep a, a decent amount of decent track of time when they're in the, when they're in there. I had a surgery once, but I was like three. So I don't Likewise. remember. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> anyway. Also, I was unconscious for it because apparently they knock you out for surgery. So I don't know if there was a timer in there. What? <laughs> I was not awake at the time <laughs> to ask, are you timing this? <laughs> Where were our parents with their camcorders going, baby's first surgery? Come on. <laughs> My mom I have didn't no have idea. One. They were being negligent, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> My mom didn't have a camcorder. Neither so. did we. <laughs> <laughs> a little while later, we see that Kowalski's waking up and seems to be okay after his surgery. We go to Hammond's office, and Kennedy comes in and reports that the surgery was a success. So Hammond says, don't let the door hit you on the way out, because they have been continuing to not get along. Kennedy says he will leave, but that he's taking Tilk with him. No! Back in the infirmary, Daniel is in talking to Kowalski and asks if he wants to see the Guauld larva before Kennedy takes it with him. Uh, and everyone's like, why would he want to do that? <laughs> Sam comes in and tells everyone that Tilk is being taken away, which, of course, greatly angers Daniel and O'Neill. So they leave the room to go and try to deal with that. Kowalski tells Sam that he wants to talk to Tilk before Tilk leaves in order to thank him for helping him get through his ordeal. And so Sam leaves to go and get him. A little while later, Tilk comes in with a couple guards, but Kowalski asks if the guards would leave for the minute leave for a minute to let them have some time alone and says that he wants to shake Tilk's hand to thank him which they do they do he threatens yeah. to make it an order if they don't leave the room so <laughs> they have to leave <laughs> in order to let Tilk and Kowalski have the room alone is and that a thing too sorry what <laughs> like can somebody who's like under guard if they outrank somebody order them out even if they've been ordered by someone else to stay there that's a good question, and I think it would depend on who, what the rank was of the person that was ordering them to keep the person under guard. And I'm I mean, not I, a military person, so I don't yeah. know for sure, but I would think that if whoever said you're going to guard Teal'c was of a higher rank than Kowalski, then they should not have left. But if they were of a lower rank than Kowalski, then they did do the right thing in leaving. Yeah. Or maybe they were just all like, winky, winky, we're buds, I'm just going to go. <laughs> also entirely possible, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly Kowalski's eyes glow. And he says that what was removed from his body was just a dead husk because the ghoul had already become one with the host at this point. He orders Tilk to serve him, but of course Tilk refuses because Tilk is on our side now. He takes Tilk down and it all, the guards that were guarding Tilk as well. I, I just want to point out that Kowalski's moves are predictable. He f flashes his eyes and then he strangles someone. That's what he does. That is his move. You would think it's... that they would all stand a little farther away from him. Yeah. Knowing that this was his MO. Just stay out of arm's reach and you're fine. Exactly. Like he just got out of surgery. And even though he has a little ghoul old larva thing, like he, he can't be in that good of a health that he can just immediately <laughs> crumb across the room to you. <laughs> right. You wouldn't think. Although, he does get up and leave, so... <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Eventually, Tilk comes to, and back out in the hall, he finds the doctor and tells him what happened with Kowalski. And then we head to the control room, mm -hmm. where Kowalski is busy breaking people's 
arms, wrists, and dialing out and setting an auto-destruct. He is a very productive bad guy. Indeed. And then he heads down to the gate because he wants to leave. Right. But... Teal'c is there! Yay! What? And he's like, you, you cannot pass. pass. And all I could think about was Gandalf. <laughs> you shall not pass. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then they fight. There's a lot of struggling. There was. Much. He, sh- he tries to strangle Teal'c again because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And it might be time for some new moves, but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I'm just saying. <laughs> You'd think. We're kind of on to him by now. Yeah. Eventually, Tilk shoves Kowalski's head in the event horizon a few times. By this point, O'Neill is up in the control room um, with Hammond and a few other people, and they're looking out at what's going on. O'Neill says to hold him there once Tilk has Kowalski's head in the event horizon. They shut down the gate. Shut it down! Thus dematerializing the back of Kowalski's head. So I guess on some random planet, the back of somebody's head just falls through the gate. (laughs) That must be a pretty weird sight. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Back on Earth, Kowalski collapses and the remnant of the Gua'uld falls to the floor, kind of shrivels up and is no more. It not only shrivels, it either smoked or steamed. It did. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. What? I don't either. That That is also pretty weird. Um, and Tilk trying to console, O'Neill says, he was your friend. But O'Neill says, no, my friend died on the table. And we have a long shot of Kowalski's body to take us out of the scene. Aww. Mm. I was sad. Me too. So Daniel and Carter are in a locker room. They're putting on some gear. They've got vests and they've got guns. And they're having a talk as they're getting ready and heading out on some kind of adventure it looks like and they are talking about how the gould had the memory of kowalski because he was able to use the his codes to activate the self-destruct and so that gives daniel hope that his wife sharae will uh is still in there somewhere because something of the host survives which is good news for daniel indeed Back in Hammond's office, Hammond is pleasantly chatting on his red phone with his bestie. And then he gives his phone to Kennedy and is like, here, a president wants to talk to you. Uh, and we can kind of presume that it's not very good news for Kennedy. He was so gloaty. He the- really was. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Back down in the gate room, Hammond greets SG-1, who's just about to head out on their next mission. Tilk comes in, dressed in his fatigues and carrying his staff. They worked everything out, and now Teal'c is officially part of SG-1, and we exit the episode on the team going through the gate for Woo! their mission. Yay! So I really, um, it seems like O'Neill really just gets his way, no matter what. Yeah, So pretty much. You know. So it's good to be on O'Neill's uh, good graces. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, he's not wrong, like, Tilk seems like a solid guy and right. should be you should have people you trust working with you. Absolutely. I guess. But it it just ends up that he just happens to be right a all lot. the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very convenient plot device. It is. <laughs> when in doubt, O'Neill is right. <laughs> Will continue to be a common theme as far as I remember, granted yeah. it's been a few years. 
So, Kathy, what did you think of this episode? I liked that. I really like Kowalski, I think, is what it is. And I really, I liked his, you know, relationship with O'Neill. And I liked the tension between the government guy. I keep saying the government guy as if they all don't work for the U.S. government. (laughs) Kennedy, I I take it you mean. Kennedy, the guy (laughs) from Washington, the outsider. The outsider, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like the tension between the outsider and the insider, and not just because, like, oh, they have an enemy to look at, but in a in a sense where I th- actually think the 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 um the contrast the between their arguments is interesting because mm. I don't necessarily, in some contexts, I don't necessarily think Kennedy is a hundred percent wrong. Like, Tilk's your guy, and you don't want anything to happen to him. And Kowalski's your guy, and you don't want anything to happen to him, but he's not wrong that there's a threat, and they don't know enough about it, and it it's not a bad thing to even to at least ask, like, maybe we should experiment, maybe we should look into this a little, and... Right, and that's kind of, like, part of the problem, like, as somebody who's done some research and, and has an education in science, like, that's a huge part of the problem is like there's tons of great studies that you can think of that would be super beneficial to the human race but are they moral mm. yeah you know and and a lot of actually a lot of the knowledge that we currently have has been gotten by immoral gains like i was actually just talking with some of my students the other day about how we've gotten all of our anatomy and physiology knowledge and a lot of that came from stolen corpses so yeah it's not just just here but like all of humanity has benefited from science that was gained through immoral methods so there's uh Yeah. yeah it's it's really hard to say exactly what the right thing is like as viewers we're rooting for tilk but from a scientific standpoint it's not unreasonable to ask to study Tilk the way that Kennedy wants to do. I don't know if I've ever talked... I I read a book once called The Poisoner's Handbook, which Mm -hmm. was actually super interesting about... um, It was about a coroner in New York City in, like, the 1920s who, like, did all these, like, experiments on his own on animals trying to figure out different chemicals and how they affect animals and people. And it was really interesting, Mm -hmm. but, like, a lot of the, um, you know, controls that are in place now around like the ethics of studying thing animals even like right. yeah, experimenting a... on animals weren't there so it's right. a little like ugh to read but it's really interesting yeah there are a ton of guidelines nowadays for what is and is not okay to be doing as far as animal experimentation goes and you actually need to get approval from an ethics board before you can even start an experiment on um, animals as well as as people yeah. these days but and that the, was definitely not always the case yeah and then looking at the the gould like it's not a human form like even tilk is it's mm-hmm. it's it looks like a slug or something right like, but it's so supposedly as it's intelligent a, yeah it's a very it's a sentient being so you have to remember that you're not just dealing with an animal but it's easy to forget that i think right yeah so there's some interesting moral questions that come up with stuff like that for the most part i liked the episode too uh, i think it, do- it did i think it did a good job with giving us a little bit more information on who the characters really are based on like how they were really supportive of teal and how teal really was understanding of how untrusting 
the people on this planet were. Yeah. He didn't take offense. He didn't get upset. He is like, yeah, you're right. You have no reason to trust me, but I'm going to prove that you can trust me. So I thought that that was really great what they did with his character. The only thing I really didn't like is that, as you said, I really liked Kowalski as a character. So I was just really sad that they ended up killing him off at the end. But otherwise, other than that, I thought it was a, a really good episode, too. Uh, aside from the fake MRI stuff and, you know, the fake imaging technology that I enjoyed exist. that. That was one of the parts I liked. Of course. Like, of course. Let me watch this. You liked it just because you knew I wouldn't like it. <laughs> I am that monster. So what do we have coming up in our next episode? That would be season one, episode four, I guess, yes. regardless of whether we're watching it on Hulu or by DVD. Yes. Hulu, yeah, Hulu also calls it episode four. I'm still reading descriptions from there because it's on my computer in front of me, although there's a dot, dot, dot at the end. So let me see if I can find a full description. Fun fact, did you know that you can actually still get DVDs, like actual physical DVDs from Netflix? I did. I actually signed up again at some point recently. And or like in the last like year or two, and <laughs> it turns out my problem with DVDs is that as soon as I get them, it feels like there's a pressure to watch it, and then <laughs> I resist that pressure, and then I never watch it, and then it sits there, and I just return it like three months later. So basically, when, like when I used to go and rent videos from the video store, that's basically how I'd feel, or even books from the library would be the same thing. I, I had like... no idea that they still did that, though. We just recently found that out when we were yeah. trying to get copies of this and then we ended up buying all the dvds anyway because we're nerds and we're like yeah that's yeah. totally worth it Same. <laughs> but, <laughs> but initially we're like yes let's get dvds from netflix because that's a thing apparently it is well the thing i feel like netflix is even different from a video store because you have to like you know queue up stuff to have yeah. sent to you so you and you can choose what you're getting but it's not like when you used to, if you went to a video store you were watching that thing that night right like or you could be so, I don't know. It's a Very little true. different, and it feels like too much pressure. Too yeah. much. It's like my podcast queue is so ridiculously long. I have, like, 50 hours of podcasts in my podcast queue that I can't even deal with it. And so I just don't listen to podcasts because it stresses me. That's not true. Yeah. I do listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm out running, but I'm, like, way far behind on my podcast list, and it stresses me out. I'm mad at Hulu. It's not giving me the full description. Oh. So our next episode is episode four. Um, emancipation which the description from imdb says while exploring a world populated by mongol descendants captain carter is abducted as a wife of a local warlord that sounds awful i remember not liking this episode at all so this will be a same fun one. yeah <laughs> awesome <laughs> All right. Well, in light of that, because I'm sure anyone would want to hear us talking about an episode that we know we both don't like, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or pretty much any other podcatcher that you can find. We are Stargazing, S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. You can also email us at stargazing at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at, at Stargatesing. And we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Stargatesing. I'm Mary. This is Kathy. The end. The end. Is it the infirmary or what are yeah. we calling it? I have it Sorry. six bay in my notes, but six probably bay. we shouldn't bleep. We probably bleep shouldn't. jokes from other podcasts. Pro yeah, that's probably <laughs> frowned upon. Six basement. Six basement. <laughs> we can say infirm infirmary. Infirmary, all right.